1 Samuel 4 and Ezekiel, Ezekiel 46. We're going to go back um, about a thousand years before the birth of Christ and look at Eli in his twilight years. He's obese and blind. And uh, this verse, First uh, Samuel chapter four, verse fourteen. And when Eli heard the noise of crying, of the crying, he said, "What meaneth the noise of this tumult?" And the men came in, hast- came in hastily and told Eli. So Eli here is hearing a mob chaos outside. He's blind; he can't see it, but he can hear it. And his question is, "What's the reason for the sound of this mob out here?" Good question. Okay, today we're going to be a time traveler. Okay, we started out a thousand years before the birth of Christ. Now I'm going to bring it home real close, and then we're going to go way out to the millennium. Next stop is Tucson, Arizona. And uh, January 28th to 2017, witnesses could not explain the source of a stampede in a movie theater on Friday night. Courtney and Sherman, two of the young people, explained they were in a group of five friends who were there to see a thriller split, whatever that is, uh, at at the uh, shopping center theater. We were all kind of spooked out in the first place, Courtney said, and there were some weird noises being made by one guy in the theater. They were all sitting in the front row. People started running and yelling late in the movie. All of a sudden, a man yelled, duck down and run for your life. Sherman said, we all just hit the deck. According to Tucson Police Sergeant Pete Duncan, Witnesses told conflicting stories, and officers never heard a first-hand report of what started the commotion. My shoes are still in the theater, Sherman said, because I ran out without shoes on. It was just pure chaos. That's right, a mob is a pure chaos. Ezekiel 46. Now we're going even farther out in time. This is millennium. Ezekiel 46, verse 10. Ezekiel 46, verse 10. He says, And the prince in the midst of them, when they go in, shall go in. And when they go forth, shall go forth. We're going to um, look at two parallel universes today. And we'll see the reasons for a mob. The reasons for a mob. There's many different reasons for a mob, and I can't, of course, give you all of them or say I know definitively what um, would start a mob. But we've been given some things in the Bible that explain the reactions that people have that start a mob, the motives for a mob. Uh, The two universes, parallel universes, we're going to look at. I don't know if you say two parallel or one parallel, because parallel is two. If I say one, it's two, right? Y'all figure it out. Anyway, we're going to look at two. The one we'll call the sanctified. The second one we'll call the satanic. And you'll see there's a mob mentality on both. Notice our verse again in Ezekiel 46, verse 10. This is a mob. This is a mob. This is a good mob, though. This is in the millennium. Notice what we see first off on this. It says the prince in the midst of them. Okay, so there's a captain. There's a captain that's caused this mob. The captain is in the crowd. The prince is present with the people. That would start a mob. 
Okay? If the prince, who is a high-ranking official, shows up in a crowd of people, they're going to all throng him, if he's a good ruler. And maybe if he's a bad ruler, they'll all throng him for another reason. <laughs> but that will cause commotion. The job of a prince is what? Is to rule. We get Jesus' words on it. He'll tell us exactly what a prince is supposed to do. In Matthew 20, 25, it says, But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they are great exercise authority upon them. So Jesus Christ says, You expect a prince to exercise dominion over the people. Okay. Well, in Ezekiel it said the prince is right there in the crowd. Well, that's a good reason for a mob. What does the captain mean on the sanctified crowd in that universe? What would the captain mean to that crowd? First of all, this is the prince of peace. That means something. In Isaiah 9, 6, the Bible calls him the prince of peace. Peace is such a valuable commodity that every nation has strived for it. They fought battles for it. They've spent endless money for it and never achieved it. Peace is important. The only place peace is found is from the Prince of Peace. That's the only place you can get it. Starting in the book of John in your New Testament, from John to the book of Revelation, every book of the Bible with the exception of 1 John gives peace as a direct attribute of Jesus Christ. Every book. It's a blessing that only Christians can obtain. Peace. There's a great value in peace. If you look at the notes, I'll post the notes and you can get all the references for all the books. I don't want to just sit up here and spout off all the references. <laughs> but th he means much more than just the Prince of Peace. In Acts 3.15 it says, And killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. So true peace and true life are found in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the prince in the midst of them. That will cause some commotion. In John 10, 10, Jesus' own words, he says, I'm come that they might have life. Okay, he can give it out because he's the prince of life. Not only that, here's one that most people don't think of. Acts 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. On the sanctified universe... When we look at the crowd, we know the captain in the middle there stands for the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Life, but also Acts 5.31. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This is the Prince of Repentance and Forgiveness. You don't think of that as being the Prince but he's the prince of repentance and forgiveness. You can't just make up repentance yourself. God has to grant it to you. That's Jesus Christ. He's the prince of repentance. This prince gives you the wisdom to know when you've offended God and then will hand you repentance. And if you'll agree with that, he'll give you forgiveness. That's a valuable prince. If he's in the midst of the crowd, you better believe there's going to be a mob. Most men don't follow this prince. Let's see the other universe. What does the captain mean to the satanic crowd? Ezekiel 21. 
What does the captain mean to this satanic crowd? They have a prince as well. Ezekiel 21, 25. Ezekiel 21, 25. He says, And thou, profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come, when iniquity shall have an end, thus saith the Lord God, Remove the diadem, take off the crown. This shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low, and abase him that is high. I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it him. Okay, he's a profane prince. Profane. Now, a lot of the world you know has been following this prince. This profane is a very good description of your American idols, most of them, your rock stars and your movie stars. Profane, that's a perfect description. They like to follow a profane prince. That's the satanic universe. It's also a prince of degradation. That is, a continual process of getting worse and worse. Isaiah 30, verse 1. A prince of degradation. Isaiah 30, verse 1. Woe unto the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel. Okay, they're trying to get advice. That sounds like a good thing. They take counsel, but not of me. And they cover with a covering, well, that's a good thing, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. This is anybody who seeks wisdom and instruction from any source other than the Word of God. Count on it. Any of your wise little sayings will eventually lead you to the road of degradation because it's not God. God is wisdom. If you're searching for wisdom, you better start in the book and stay in the book. That's where wisdom comes from. Man can create a road of degradation real easy. We'll cover some more of that tonight. Tonight I'm going to do a critique of the movie uh, The Shack. And I'll show you how that's the road for degradation. That's the road of degradation. Decept it's a deceptive prince. That's another one, a deceptive prince. In Ephesians 2, verse 2. Ephesians 2, 2. They have a deceptive prince. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of what? Disobedience. Okay, but look at the verse. Those children are obeying somebody. The prince of the power of the air. The one they're disobeying is God. They have obedience. They're obeying the prince of the power of the air and they don't even know it. Man's made to be a servant. You will serve somebody. Even your rebellion and disobedience is a servant to the prince of the power of the air. In Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, 
and in the sight of thine eyes. Boy, doesn't that sound like some good advice. I think Joel Osteen would be okay with that one. Rejoice in your youth. Be happy you're young. Let your heart cheer you. Do whatever your heart wants to do. Walk in the way of your heart. Walk in the sight of your eyes. Anything you can see, feel, want, or imagine, go for it, buddy. But let's finish the verse. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Don't follow your heart. It'll lead you down a wicked path. That's the path of the deceptive prince. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke 22:31. Jesus is talking to Simon Peter. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Even a Christian can become conned into following the wrong crowd. It's easy. <laughs> That's the crowd you were following before you met Jesus. Be careful. The devil wants to sift you. The devil is not just interested in his crowd. He's interested in one more. <coughs> That's not his. If he can't get you, keep you from getting saved, he'll keep you from living like it. And he'll spend probably more time trying to keep you from living like it than he does trying to keep you from getting saved. In Galatians 3, verse 1, Paul tells his converts this. Galatians 3, verse 1. Galatians 3, 1, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, what a way to talk to your people. You bunch of fools. Oh foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? Something satanic going on here. That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So how did you receive Jesus Christ? How did you learn about Him? Was it by your works? Or by putting your nose in a book and reading words on a page? Faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. It's the only place you get it. He says, where would you get it from? Verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? <coughs> are you made perfect by the flesh? That's a deceptive prince. The deceptive prince will say you need to do something to please God. No, you probably need to quit something to please God. It's not your works he's impressed with. Or else Jesus wouldn't needed to have come, needed to have come. Alright, we've seen the captain. Now let's look at our verse again. Ezekiel forty six ten. That's the captain. The prince. Now let's see the companionship. Ezekiel 46.10 And the prince in the midst of them. Okay. The prince is not only there and their prince and they know it, but he's with them. He's part of the crowd. He's there a companion. A companionship. Okay, let's see some companionship in this. What does companionship mean to the satanic crowd? They really don't have a clue what companionship means. They don't know. They have 
solidarity, not companionship. Big difference. We can be on the same page and we can be agreed on something but not be companions. Big difference. The world has solidarity. Christians can have companionship. But let's see the satanic world. Solidarity of confusion. Exodus 23.2. A solidarity of confusion. Exodus 23.2. He says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude, there's your mob, to do evil. Neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many, the crowd, to rest judgment, to give bad judgment. Okay, that's confusion. You've taken something that was, you knew was right and you've twisted it. They changed judgment. They knew, like Ahab and Nabal, they knew who was guilty and who wasn't and they just twisted the whole thing until they got what they wanted. Okay, that's confusion. Black ain't black anymore, it's white. Put some gray in there. Who knows what it is? No, God says you keep the colors distinct. You keep right, right, and wrong, wrong. Judge correctly. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 9. 1 Samuel 15, verse 9. I'm going to show you something. A lot of people will use this verse and skip over this one little part. 1 Samuel 15, 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Now, what most people notice in this story is Saul, when he's talking to Samuel, says, Hey, look, I wanted to do right. The people did the thing that was wrong the separation between I and they. And in this verse, you can see the they, the people, spared Agag. It's all saying it wasn't really my decision, it was the people. The people did that. And then at the end of the verse, they destroyed utterly anything that was no good, refuse. Okay, the people are involved in this. But do you know what? The people are more powerful than Saul. So he's right. The people did do what the people do. It's a mob they had control. You want me to prove it to you? I will. This is the same crowd that refused to allow Saul to kill Jonathan, whom he had already declared he was going to do. This same crowd. So had this crowd decided they wanted to follow God, they would have killed Agag. And they would have killed all of the animals like God had commanded. But it's the crowd mentality. It was more appealing to follow the selfish greed of the crowd. Just go along with the crowd. That's a satanic universe. The other thing is the solidarity of destruction. That's their companionship. It's not companionship. It's solidarity. They're joined in cause. But what's the cause? The cause is destruction. Proverbs 13:20. Proverbs 13, 20. I didn't put down the first half of that verse. I think it says, He that walks with wise men shall be wise or something like that. 
but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Okay? Don't follow that crowd. You know where they're going? Destruction. They're heading there. They're all going at different speeds. Some crowds get there real quick. Some take their time getting there. But they're all headed there. The solidarity of destruction. There's also the solidarity of stupidity. That's a good one. The solidarity of stupidity. In Mark 15, verse 15. Solidarity of stupidity. If you really consider the crowd that's following the devil, you understand it's just ignorant. Mark 15, 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. That doesn't make any sense. He had already declared, I find no fault in this man. And what's he do? He says, here's one we know is wicked. I'm going to release him. That's just stupid. The two don't match. Stupidity. Felix does the same thing with Paul. It says In Acts 24-27, he says, Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So I don't really see any need for it, but if it makes the crowd happy, let's do something that doesn't make any sense. That's what happens when you get in that mob. What's the companionship mean on the other universe, the sanctified crowd? Okay, this is where it gets good. John chapter 16. The sanctified crowd gets companionship of comfort. Companionship of comfort. John 16, verse 7. This is Jesus talking. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because... Look what's going to happen to that other universe. The prince of this world is judged. Okay, companionship on the right, in the right crowd gives you comfort. If you're following the right crowd, you do get comfort when you need it. You get comfort. Not only from people, but from God. God will give you comfort. Companionship in judgment. This is not one that's popular, but companionship in judgment. John chapter 7, verse 24. John seven twenty-four. Companionship in judgment. He says there, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Judge correctly. What he's saying there is judge what I judge. Don't make up your own. Okay, well, where's the companionship coming from in that? With the creator of the universe. You're the companion to God when you agree with his judgment. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 15, 1 Corinthians 2.15, he says, But he that is spiritual... Okay, we assume that's going to be a good thing, right? You want to be spiritual. Okay. But he that is spiritual 
judgeth all things. Ouch. That takes the modern crowd and kicks them right out the window, doesn't it? He says a spiritual man judges all things. Let's keep reading. Yet he himself is judged of no man. Okay, here's the balance between that thing. Is he saying a spiritual man judges everything in the light of true judgment, God, the Bible. However, no individual can judge him. An individual can point him to the Bible and God can judge him. Okay, the judgment comes from the judge, God, not a man's decision. I can't decide, hey, you know, everybody needs to eat lunch at Five Guys today. And if you don't do that, then you're wicked. That'd be a pretty good decision on my part. But, <laughs> However, that's my opinion. I can't make that judgment call because God's not done it. If God makes a decision and he says, he that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life, but the wrath of God abides on him, I can tell anybody that all day long because I didn't make that up. God did. That's God's judgment. That's judging righteous judgment. In Psalms 149, verse 9. Psalms 149, verse 9. This is a good verse. Psalms 149, verse 9. This, you're going to find what gets God excited. This is God giving Christmas presents at Christmas. Here it is. Psalms 149, verse 9. To execute upon them judgment, the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. Praise you the Lord. Are you a saint? Is God going to honor you? Well then guess what? You're supposed to be passing out judgment that's been written. Okay, there's it. It's written right here. There's judgment in there. Pass it out. God says his saints get to do that. Okay, there's companionship in it. Companionship and charity. Christians get this, not the world. The world gets warm fuzzies by giving stuff, but Christians get a blessing from God for it. Charity. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4, Paul says, praying for us much, uh, with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. He says, we were in that church over there and they were constraining us with much entreaty. They were begging us to take these things that were gifts to these other people. They wanted to be part of it. That's charity. You giving to somebody else. God gives you a blessing for that. We just bought some Bibles. That's charity. That's everybody pulling out of their pocket to do something for another part of the body of Christ. There's a communion in that. There's a fellowship in that that only a Christian can experience. There's companionship in ministry. God calls you to do certain things. And your ministry, you get companionship in. It's not a competition. The world, it's all a competition. I've got this job and I want the monopoly on it. Nobody else can get involved in my field. Okay, we're going we're gonna to put a, um, a uh, what, what do you call it when you sign a contract and say, 
you can't you'll work for me but you in five years you can't work no compete clause no compete clause there's none of that in Christianity God doesn't have any no compete clauses because it's not a competition the world it's all a competition it is there's a companionship in ministry Galatians 2 verse 9 Galatians 2 verse 9 and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace was given unto me, that they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go into the heathen, and they into the circumcision. Okay, they've gotten a call. They get some companionship in it. They get somebody who's going to help them. Somebody who's going to encourage them. That's good. When you get a mission from God, when you get a ministry from God... You're going to need somebody else to encourage you, to have fellowship with you, and to help you along the way. That's what you get in the right crowd. Companionship of perfection. Now this word is misused, perfection. People understand what perfection is. They say, we can't be perfect. Well, to a degree you can be perfect. 1 John 5, verse 3. Now 1 John 1, verse 3. 1 John 1, verse 3. Companionship in perfection. He says, That which we have seen and have heard, declare we unto you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, get fellowship with something that's perfect. There it is. You can have it. It's available to a certain mob, to the right crowd, you can get it. You won't get it following the devil's crowd. In verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have, there it is again, fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. It's a continual process. Companionship, and this is an important one, in trouble. Companionship in trouble. Revelation 1, verse 9. Guess what? Trouble is going to hit. No way around it. Saved or lost. Job says, man's born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Revelation 1, verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. Companionship in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the ministry and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. There's a companionship in trouble. When you get in trouble, that crowd, if you're in the right one, will help you. Satan's crowd doesn't want to help you. It wants to stomp you down, take anything they can from you while you're drowning. That's the wrong crowd. Get in the right mob. Okay, we've seen the captain, we've seen the companion. Now let's see the command. Look at our verse again, Ezekiel 46.10. Ezekiel 46.10. Ezekiel 46.10, he says, And the prince in the midst of them, when they go in, shall go in. And when they go forth, shall go forth. There's some activity going on. Somebody's moving. Now, if you back up a verse, you'll see that he's saying there, when you come in the the south gate, you're going to leave the north gate. If you come in the east gate, you're going to leave the west gate. 
everybody's moving in a straight line. Nobody's backtracking. They're moving forward. It's all good stuff here. But let's see about the satanic crowd. What are the commands to the satanic crowd? They don't have commands. They have demands. Big difference. Their demand is they demand immediate results. They're results-oriented. And if you're not careful, we'll fall in the same trap. Many a missionary went to a mission field and saw no results. And then the people came after him and saw all the results. God doesn't work on return on investment that you can put on a piece of paper. It's written on the account in heaven. Demands immediate results in Galatians 5 verse 19. Galatians 5.19. This puts both of these universes right on the same page. Galatians 5.19. Galatians 5.19. He says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? So forth, so on. Okay, so he's saying the works, something you can produce of the flesh, flesh is not good, are manifest you got a result. They're manifest. Immediate. The devil's crowd demands immediate results. Look at verse 22. But, the other universe, the fruit of the Spirit is okay. Fruit takes a long time to grow. And it doesn't say manifest. And it's not a work. And it's not something you can... You know, slap together and boom, everybody can see it. It takes a long time to grow. It has a season when it comes out. Big difference in work and, and uh, fruit. Big difference. The devil's crowd demands immediate results. In Jeremiah 6, verse 19, he says, Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law but rejected it he says I'll, I'll give them some work they want to see immediate results I'll give them some immediate results I know what they've been thinking about I know what they're thinking about doing and I'm going to reward them for it that's the devil's crowd it, they demand a vain pursuit they demand you move just like our verse said in that crowd somebody was moving they went forth and went in, okay, the devil's crowd requires you to pursue something. And you're pursuing the wind. Zero. Proverbs 2, verse 18. Proverbs 2, verse 18. It says, For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto death, unto the dead. Okay, this young man is going into this woman's house thinking he's going to get pleasure and everything he's dreamed of. However, what he's chasing is death, just the opposite of what he thought. That's the mob's demand for its crowd. In chapter 4, verse 19, Chapter 4, verse 19. He says, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. 
Why are they stumbling? Because they're pursuing something. They don't know what it is, but they're pursuing it. And they're doing it in the dark. And they're tripping over stuff. And they don't even have a clue what's going on. That's the devil's mob. It's in a hurry to get nowhere, and it's going to do it as fast as it can. <laughs> they demand imagination without education. They demand you come up with something, but they're not going to help tell you how to do it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians four seventeen. Most religions will fall into this verse. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. How are they walking? In the vanity of their mind. Okay, most religions come up with vain pursuits to give a man a way of getting to heaven. And they never give him the final answer. Yes, you're going to make it or no, you're not. It's always a hope so, maybe so. Give me some more money and I'll tell you a little better. <laughs> it's vain. It's vain imagination. They demand imagination, but give them no definite education on what is true. Isaiah 14, 14. This is the same thing the devil did. Isaiah 14, 14. He said, here's his imagination working overtime. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Okay? Should have paid a little more attention to God's words that he said. Got his imagination in check. Don't allow your imagination to just do what it wants to do. Because it will be run by the devil if you let it. In 2 Samuel 4 verse 10... 2 Samuel 4.10, we find uh, Saul has just been killed and David is getting the news here. 2 Samuel 4.10 And one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings. I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag. Who thought that I would give him a reward for his tidings? His imagination was going wild. He said, Oh, Saul's dead. If I take some proof that Saul's dead to David, I'll get a reward. That's the imagination working. You don't need imagination. You need something sure, like God's Word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In 2 Kings 5.11, 2 Kings 5.11, we find a man named him. He's got leprosy. Got to get healed from this leprosy. He wasn't happy at the answer. And why he's not happy? His imagination's been going wild. Verse 11. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I saw. I've been thinking on it. My imagination's been running wild. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of, his, of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. The devil's crowd will give you vain imaginations. They'll give you some things you would naturally want to believe in anyway. That's what he wanted to believe in. He wanted to believe, I go out there, I'll get a good show. He's going to smack me on the head and boof, abracadabra, I'm going to be whole. But it wasn't any show. He said, go down to the mud hole and dip in. That doesn't sound very good. 
you know, I've really been thinking this through and you're not doing it the way my imagination said you would. The devil works in the imagination if you allow him. What are the commands to the sanctified crowd? Commands to the sanctified crowd. In Acts chapter 18, verse 26, the sanctified crowd is commanded to teach. You're to teach. It's a command to do something. However, you see how low stress it is compared to the devil's crowd? You just teach. Teach. Acts 18, 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, him, had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. This is Apollos. Aquila and Priscilla are obeying the command to teach. They say, the guy's on fire over there. He's preaching, but he's got some things messed up. Tell you what, let's just pull him aside. Let's don't quench his fire. Let's pull him aside and explain some things to him. That's good. That's helping the body. He's growing now. They've obeyed the command to teach. What's the Great Commission? Go into all the world and teach all nations. Okay, they're obeying it. The sanctified crowd is supposed to teach. They're also getting a command to grow. Okay, don't stay stagnant. When they went into the city, if they came in from the south gate, they got to go out the north gate. You're moving. You're making progress. You don't stay stagnant. The command to grow. Romans 1, verse 17. Romans 1, 17. He says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It's going to grow. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, he said, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's something that needs perfecting. That causes you to grow. The more... Uh, the closer you get to God and the more light you get, the more sin you see that needs to go. <laughs> that doesn't mean you became a bigger sinner. You already were. It means you've just now seen it and you can perfect it. You can get rid of it. That's the way it works. That's growing. In Hebrews 6, 1, he says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. That is, there's some basics you should be over by now. Let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works of faith toward God. He said, you're already saved. We don't need to keep preaching that. You got that. You should have that down by now. Let's move on to some perfection. Now you need to start cleaning up. That's God's crowd. God's crowd is growing. And you've got to be careful because in the crowd you'll find people that are all different heights. Some have grown a whole lot. Some haven't done a whole lot of growing. Some got big feet and short bodies. God grows people the way he decides, especially his children. And rarely is it the growth process we have in our imagination. There's that imagination. We think, oh, they should be way past this by now. God says, no, I'm working on something else with them. If the heart's right, let them go. Help them. Teach them. Command to advertise. This is not one you think of. But you're commanded to advertise. God's crowd is supposed to advertise for him. Your salespeople. 
First Peter three fifteen. First Peter three fifteen. It says that sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You should be an advertisement. They should be able to look at you. Yeah, there's something different about that guy. He's got peace. Remember? You got the Prince of Peace. There's something that should strike them as different than their crowd. And they should be saying, Hey, I'm tired of following this mob. How do I get yours? That's what you're supposed to do. So, today, choose which mob you're going to be in. You're part of the mob. Not the mafia. <laughs> you're part of a mob. First Peter, chapter 4. Sometimes the satanic crowd is going to look at you and say, I don't understand you. Sometimes they're going to be ready to change course and they're going to look at you and say, how do I get what you got? He's saying, be ready. When I prepare somebody to ask you, you be ready that you can answer. In 1 Peter 4, verse 4, he's talking about the, the satanic universe over there. And he says, Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. That's that crowd. They run to excess and they're rioting as in a mob. Get in the right mob. In the millennium, the only one that will be around is the one we found in Ezekiel 46 because God will eliminate the others. However, right now, it's your choice. Every day, you get up and you choose. Which mob am I going to join today? Make sure you're picking the right one. Make sure you go in with your eyes open. If you're going to follow the devil's crowd, I've just given you all the reasons you shouldn't and what he's going to demand of you. God's crown is simple. All right, let's pray and we'll call it a day. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you tell the end from the beginning and that you give us um, full disclosure on um, the, the ways that we could go. And we thank you that you've provided a way of escape and that you would um, remind us of these things as life becomes uh, confusing to us. In your name we pray. Amen.